0: Good morning, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed congregation. Yes, for one Sunday of the year at least. So, welcome. There will be no nodding off this morning. Turn with me, if you would, to Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6, as we continue in our fourth week of this series, this mini-series we're doing called Outward with the Mission. And you'll notice on your notes, let me bring attention to two additional resources at the bottom that these are classics, these are powerful, these are rich truths when it comes to the topic that we're talking about this morning. So I would encourage you to purchase those and read, Uh, reading, supplementary reading is so important to our own spiritual growth. D.A. Carson, in one of those books that I mentioned, A Call to Spiritual Reformation, the Priorities from Paul and his prayers, says this. What is both surprising and depressing is the sheer prayerlessness that characterizes so much of the Western church. It is surprising because it is out of step with the Bible that portrays what Christian living should be, It is depressing because it frequently coexists with abounding Christian activity that somehow seems hollow, frivolous, and superficial. We also know, just intuitively from the Scriptures, that the devil hates prayer and that our own flesh does not naturally run to prayer. Amen? So, I am assuming that all of us have struggled to pray struggle to pray because we are folks in process. We are folks with many things to learn and yet <clears throat> struggling or struggling well is really one of the ways we learn. And I'll tell you this, I, I, although I am growing in this area, I am no expert. I am a fellow struggler along with you. So being in all of us in that category, if we're to gonna to make any change in this area, one of the beautiful things that I think needs to happen is we take a fresh look at Scripture as it directs us in prayer. Now, when I'm struggling with something, one of the things I learned a long time ago from a mentor of mine was to, to look at Scripture this particular area that I'm struggling with, look at Scripture and look at all that it says about that particular subject. And so this morning, we're going to do that. And then we're going to add to this subject of prayer, this subject of evangelism. So we have two tough topics. And if you've known that, maybe some of you would have slept longer, right? It can't be any any more sort of these guilt areas than prayer and evangelism. So But we're not going to go there with the guilt doesn't help us. So that's our passage this morning in Colossians 4. So as Paul marries these two subjects, if you would, prayer and evangelism in Colossians 4, it would do us well to learn why it is vital for us to also marry them together, to, to put a plus side between them that equals something that we'll look at. So here's a big picture question. I always like to go big picture first that we need to ask and address this morning. How do the prayers that we commonly present to God line up with what Scripture prays for, says about prayer, and what Paul prays for? One writer defining sort of how we can tend to pray as Christians put it like this. He says, too many of us are praying like nasty little boys who ring their front doorbells and run away before anyone answers. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, I'm guilty. Lord, help me, and then I go do what I want. So I want to define for us in sort of a layman's term and an earthy term, if you would, prayer, biblical prayer. Years ago, I got this definition from a book I read called Let the Nations Be Glad by John Piper. And in that book, it says, prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie, not a domestic intercom. God is more like a general in command central than a butler waiting to bring you another pillow for your den. Of course, it is fine to pray for lots of things. But in this fallen world with devil's field, prayer will function best when we keep the frequency tuned to command central in the fight of faith. What a great working definition for prayer. So this morning, the first thing I want to do is I want us to learn together, as it says in your notes, to highlight the prayer habits of Paul. And when we do that, we are looking at what to pray for what priorities to adopt in our prayers, and what beliefs should shape our prayers. And here's what I've done for you. I've laid out nearly, not a total comprehensive list, but a nearly comprehensive list of all of Paul's prayers and scriptures so that you, this week, can go back and and, and sort of Unite your heart with the pause of prayers and compare and contrast your typical prayer life with what Paul prayed for. What a great thing to do. So this morning, I just want to highlight a handful of those. Second Thessalonians 1, 11 through 2. It says, to this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Another prayer, Paul's 1 Thessalonians three, ten through 13. the Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. About Romans 10:1 brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Philemon four through seven, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I've hear of your love of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus. And for all the saints, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Now, my hope is that as we read sort of this this core center Themes of the Apostle Paul's prayers that we would see that many times our prayers are different. And what a great way to learn again, to to look at these core central uh, principles and truths and things that Paul prayed for so that we can reform our own prayer lives. Obviously, we need to be reformed in everything, and one of those is certainly our praying. Robert Murray McShea put it this way He said, What a man is alone on his knees before God, that he is and no more. So, this morning we're going to dig into another of one of Paul's prayers in Colossians 4. The little context of this book is Colossians. Uh, now, that city is in modern-day Turkey. It is 350 miles south of Istanbul. And, uh, and in, in this, when Paul wrote it, he was in his first Roman imprisonment. So let's read Colossians 4 2 through 6. Continue, Paul writes, steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Verse 5, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. See what he does there? He marries these two topics of prayer and evangelism. So let's dig into it. So the first thing Paul tells us is how we are to pray. Verse 2. Paul, what he does here is exhorts the Colossians to be prayerful. And he uses, as you'll see there, as you saw there, two descriptive words. He uses steadfast and watchful. And when we speak of steadfast, it's literally the word devoted. It means coming back to prayer again and again. It is a word picture, if you would, of having a nagging cough. And when you have a nagging cough, guess what happens? You cough, and you think you're done, and a few minutes later, it comes back again, and you cough again. That's what he's looking at here. Jesus spoke of this kind of prayer in the parable of Luke 18. If you really look at it, it can have some humor to it. There, there's this widow woman who is bugging the mess out of, just worrying the mess out of this judge, this unjust, unwilling, and uncaring judge to give her legal protection from her enemies. And at first, he resists her pleas, but because the scripture says, and she beat him down with her request. (laughs) I need help. The judge relents to her and grants her requests. This steadfast prayer, the point is, persistence in prayer. It is a long obedience in the same direction. O oh Lord, steadfastly I pray to you because I need help. Second word Paul uses there is watchful. It means to stay alert, to stay awake. The word is often used in, in used in the context of other verses when it speaks of our adversary, the devil, as in First Peter 5.8. First Peter 5.8 says, Be on alert. There's the word watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Now, if we, at the end of the service this morning, Monty got up to close us out. And he said, by the way, I just got a police report that a line fell out of a truck. It was in a truck cage. They had a wreck and the line escaped right here at the Kroger on Veterans. So you need to be watchful. You need to be alert. You need to be awake as you leave church this morning. Here's what I know. None of us will be walking out the church with our phones looking at our phones like this. We'd be walking out the church like this. <laughs> right? I mean, we'd be looking, and, 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 and as we're tiptoeing in anxiety, and we're, we're looking for, and then somebody sneaks up behind us and goes, ah, go, right? I mean, it would be absolutely eyes ahead, ears open, just looking for that. Scripture tells us there's a dangerous line in Murfreesboro, not this morning, but all the time. Watchful prayer is how we fight against the unseen but ferocious enemy that stalks us. This kind of prayer is the antidote to our tendency to fall asleep spiritually, to to fall into apathy, to be dumbed down spiritually. So Paul gives these two descriptive words, steadfast and watchful. And then the third word he uses there. to to tell us how to pray is this word thankful. Now, thankfulness is actually what draws us into the throne room of God. Thankfulness comes from a heart that knows without a doubt that no matter our surrounding circumstances, we are convinced at our core because of what Scripture tells us and our own experience with God, that God's character and heart toward us is good and right and all wise and sovereign and just and is best for us no matter what we think and no matter what we feel. Because here's the bottom line. If we doubt God's goodness... See, Genesis 3, ultimately our mother, original mother and father and Adam and Eve, then thankfulness goes out the window. And when thankfulness goes out the window, the desire to come before his throne of grace goes away. A heart of thankfulness to God for who he is and what he's done in Christ for sinners like us is what woos us to him no matter our circumstances. So Paul gives us three words, three descriptive words, steadfast, watchful, and thankful to tell us how to pray. If I were to sum up verse two, I would say this. Paul is instructing you and I to have this heightened prayerful awareness about all of life. And as I look at a text, sort of how my mind works and think it helps me to unpack what does the text really mean? What is it saying to us? I would ask the next question. That's fine. That's good to have a heightened prayerful awareness. But is there something that he wants us to have a prayerful awareness about? That's a question I would ask. Is there a focused area that we may engage this prayerful awareness on behalf of some God intended purpose? The answer is yes, and so here's what Paul does here. He connects the idea of being prayerfully aware with two critical and crucial items of eternity or eternal items. The first is, we're going to see this morning, is that we would have opportunities to share Christ in a clear way with those who don't know Him. You being prayerfully aware needs to be connected to You praying for opportunities to share Christ with those that don't know him. And secondly, you being prayerfully aware means it needs to be connected to that we would have this this certain mindset, this certain way of thinking and seeing and interacting with people who Paul says in verses five, who are outsiders and see them as opportunities and not burdens. One writer put it this way. He says, the gospel makes us extrospective, turning our gaze upward to God and outward to our neighbor. Have you ever heard those terms here? Upward with God, outward with our neighbor, or with the mission? So that's why in verses 3 and 4 and 5 and 6, Paul now, he has told us how to pray, and now he tells us what to pray and the reason to pray. Let's look at verse 3 and 4 again. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of, mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So let's do this. Let me summarize for us. I want to connect verse 2 with verses 3 and 4. and This is what I think we could summarize what it's saying. While you are being persistent, alert, and thankful in prayer, while you are in this constant state of being prayerfully aware, Paul says, pray also for us. Pray for us that God may open up a gospel door so that I can share the gospel of Christ. That's how Paul's putting it. Now, when I look at that text, the first glance I see, the first thing that hops off the page when I read verses 3 and 4, is that Paul is in prison and he does not ask that they pray that he be given permission or release from prison. I, I, I'm amazed. that Here's what that does for me. That says, Jeff, you have a long way to go and grow. Because if I'm in prison and I sneak a letter out to y'all, the first thing on the top, look, on the outside of the envelope, as y'all pray, I got to get out of jail. <laughs> I'm hungry. I got to go turkey hunting. I miss my wife. Monty's crying every day. He misses me so bad. <laughs> They've already hired a teaching pastor. They're not even thinking about me. He's in jail. <laughs> we'll see him in heaven. <laughs> but I know, I know without a doubt. That's the first thing I'm praying for. I love it. I need to be challenged and encouraged Paul is so kingdom-minded, he is not thinking about himself, and here's why. He knows without a shadow of a doubt that he would not be in jail had God not ordained him to be in jail. So he sits right there, and he may have desires to leave jail. I'm sure he does, but he also rests in God's sovereignty over his life. I rest in you. So... And then the next thing, as I work through this passage that jumped off the page to me, is I want to look at who is the us that Paul speaks of when he says the same time pray also for us. So who is the us? It's plural in nature. Obviously, we have the Apostle Paul and we have a guy named Aristarchus. Colossians 4.10, a few verses down, tells us that. Acts 27 tells us that. So Paul and Aristarchus are there in jail. He was a Jewish convert from Thessalonica. Then we have Timothy. Many have said Timothy was in prison with Paul in Rome for a short time, let him out early. He was a protege who came to Christ through Paul. And then another guy we know was there for a time was Epaphras. Epaphras went to Rome when he heard Paul was in jail, when he was in prison, and he walked in and said, "I too am a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you please imprison me so I can be with my brother Paul and encourage him while he is in prison?" Again, Monty, you go to jail. I'm going to visit you in jail, but I'm not going to join you in jail. If I grow to that level of spirituality, Lord, that would be beautiful. But right now, I'm not there. That is gorgeous. It was Epaphras, by the way, since he he founded the church of Colossae. He started that church. When he joined Paul in prison to minister to him, to encourage him, to be a friend to him in jail, although he had done nothing but follow Christ, and that's why Paul's in jail too, it was through Epaphras that Paul learned of the heresies going on concerning Christ in the church of Colossae. So that is what prompted Paul to write a letter to this church. These four men, if I could sum it up this way, give us this picture of what's going on here. These four men are a unique team of spiritual warriors in the battle to be re- recapture the hearts of men for God. They now are prisoners of war, and it looks as if the enemy has a victory since they are in prison. So here's what Paul does. He smuggles out a letter out of the prison camp to some other teammates, some other soldiers, other spiritual soldiers, and who are they? They're the Church of Colossae. And in this letter, he asked them to get on their walkie-talkie, call command headquarters, and ask the general to fire a missile that would blast open a door in the prison wall so that Paul and his God squad of warriors can get on with the mission and release people from the power of Satan and bring them to God in Christ. That's what's happening here. So, so again, as I think through how my mind works, I ask this question. Why would Paul do that? This is the apostle. This guy wrote 13 New Testament books. He is asking for prayers to have the open doors to share Christ while in prison. He has all the gifting in the world. He has all the knowledge of the scriptures in the world. Matter of fact, most people said he had the Old Testament memorized. Try that sometime. He didn't rely on his gifting. He didn't rely on his knowledge or some salesman technique to get an opening to share Christ. He relied on God because he knew that only God can make people see. Only God can soften hearts. Only God can bring people to a place where they need something outside themselves to satisfy something that they can never satisfy themselves. And the reason you and I came to Christ is because he did that with us. Now, my next question is, that comes to my head is, well, did God answer those prayers? Here's what we know. A lot of Christians heard Paul was in prison, and they made the trip there to see him. Acts 28 tells us that. And they were encouraged to also be bold in sharing Christ with others. So they would go to visit Paul and they would see his countenance and his joy and his passion. And they would hear about him being able to share Christ with others. And they would walk away going, let's go. Listen to Paul's words describing this very thing in Philippians 1, 12 through 14. He says, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, meaning being in prison, has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my change, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Absolutely. God answered those prayers. But that's not all. The guards would trade off every six to eight hours. Paul would share Christ with them as a new guard or two came in to be with him and to guard him in this prison. Then what would happen is they would come to Christ and they would go outside the jail and tell others about Christ and then they too would come to Christ. Philippians 4 speaks of that. And maybe the greatest answer to this prayer this open door prayer that God would open a door while in prison is that while he was there, he wrote four new Testament books of the Bible, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And they are now being used for the last 2000 years to reach the world. Now you talk about encouragement for us to ask God to open a door with people so we can make the gospel clear to them. He certainly did it for Paul here. So we know it is God's will that people come to Christ. True? Nod your head, right? We know it's God's will that he uses men and women to tell them about Christ. Men and women are his method. So in light of knowing those two things, do you think that God would answer your prayer if you pray that he would give you an opportunity to share the gospel with someone? I think he would. If he knows you will speak, he will bring them in waves to you. And if not to you, he's going to bring them to someone if he's going to save them. And we're the ones that actually miss us out. So the big idea here in terms of what to pray is before you talk to a person about God, talk to God about that person. That's what Paul was telling us here. I was encouraged Friday night. uh, I am coming to community groups and I was doing a community group uh, time where I was equipping that group and how to share their faith and and, uh, actually was talking to my son, Jess, and a few weeks ago, uh, he had a guy from high school, an acquaintance, didn't know him well, had a class or two with him, who messaged him on Facebook and said, hey, are you a Christian? Now, we all wish that they would come to us like that, right? <laughs> like, like, like the girl said this morning, right? What God do you pray to? Uh, and... Um, <clears throat> But I think when God knows we will speak and follow up, I think you will get more of those than you can ever imagine. And Jess said, yes, I am. He said, can I talk to you? So they met this week and Jess got a chance to share Christ with him. Had to go back in the Genesis a little bit and give him a little bit of the story. This, This first conversation, he didn't come to Christ, but this first conversation about what does it mean to be a Christian? The guy said, I messaged you because you were always nice to me, even though you were popular and I wasn't. Oh, we never know. And this guy was blown away. He had no idea. He had no idea. He said, I thought Christians were this, 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 and this judgmental. I had no idea that this is what it means to be a Christian. Folks, that's where we're living. There is a book on evangelism. Again, it's a great read called The Concentric Circles of Concern by the late Oscar Thompson. Here's what he does. Let me show you this it's a diagram here. He makes these circles, and what he does, he goes from the middle outward. Starts with self and family and relatives, close friends. Neighbors and co workers, acquaintances, and then someone we don't know. And here's what he, what he when he talks about evangelism, he's, he asks the body of Christ, those who know Christ, to put at least one person in each of those categories. Be great for you to on your computer or just freehand or with your family, make this, put it on the fridge, put it on your mirror in the bathroom, one name there, that you know they do not know Christ. And then make a list of their needs, those people. Be able to try to meet some of those needs If if you can actually meet those needs. And then pray that God would use the circumstances of life to draw them to himself and that And that he would use you with them in an opportunity to share the gospel. It is a great way to live that out. I love that diagram. It gives me something tangible in front of me. So, Paul tells us how to pray. He tells us what to pray. And then he tells us the reason to pray. Verses 5 and 6. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Again, Paul is saying, as you're in this prayerfully aware place, we are to see people, interact with people, think of people as potential opportunities, an opportunity for a divine appointment. Oh, Lord, is it a coincidence that this person is sitting by me on a a three-and-a-half-hour plane flight? Answer, nope. Lord, would you give me an opening? I am wore down. I'm ready to take a nap. I got things to do. But if you'll crack that door, I'll stick my foot in it. And if I can get my foot in it, I can get my hand in it. If I can get my hand in it, I can get my big old booty in it, right? The whole body. And I will walk through that door and go as far in this conversation as you would lead me. Paul says, as we walk in wisdom with outsiders, uses that term outsiders for us as the church. It is an opportunity for us to be reminded who outsiders are. Insiders, to contrast with that, are those who are in right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ because we placed our trust in his shed blood and work on the cross for us. Outsiders are those who are not right with God through Christ. Here's what we know about the church and outsiders. At times, they will be, outsiders will be attracted to a biblical church Because of what is going on in here. Because of what is going on in the gathered church. Our love for each other. Our care for each other. And the things that we don't care about. How much money you have. What race you are. What gender you are. All the things that the world uses to to, uh, identify us. How we love broken people how we love to help hurting people. Like like those are attractions where the outsiders come and say, I've not been to another place on earth that's like this. That's the gathered church. But there's way more to being the church than what goes on here. There is a purpose that God has for us away from this weekly worship gathering, folks. Matter of fact, we are still the church Even when we're not here, we are still the church on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. Then we gather as that same church on Sunday. A biblical church gathered on Sunday is for sure to be a church scattered the rest of the week, or it's not biblical. Let me say that again. A biblical church gathered on Sunday is for sure to be a church scattered the rest of the week or it's not really biblical. So when Paul says here makes the most of your time with outsiders, he's not talking about his or their calendar. He is saying make the most of your moment of time with them. I notice an opportunity so I don't let it pass. A time to intentionally engage them. Now, what he's not saying is we run and we run up to somebody and we force this conversation and we say, My name's Jeff Patton. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ personally? If you don't, you're going to hell. And they go, Whoa, dude, <laughs> that was awkward. And they run from you and you walk away and say, I'll never do that again. <laughs> That's not it. No, we start with this prayerful mindset toward them. We've already been praying for them. And that prayerful mindset helps us to see and discern these opportunities, these cracks that God opens the door toward them. And when they do, we stick our foot in and say, Lord, take it as far as you might take it. And I'll go all the way with you. That's an amen right (laughs) there. Have them in your home. Invite them for coffee. Ask them, how can I pray for you? Get to know them by asking wonder questions. When I meet with your community group, I'm going to give you a long list of wonder questions. I wonder how you're doing. I wonder how you got to be able to do this. How did you meet your wife and spouse? Their story. Ask them those questions. Show concern by wanting to get to know them. And then lastly, Paul has this winsome speech. He says in verse 6, to engage with winsome, gracious speech that is to be seasoned with sorrow, that is palatable. To know how you should respond to each person. Have you ever noticed that Jesus in the scriptures confronted the proud Pharisees who thought they had no sin. And then with those who knew they were full of sin and their sin was ever before them, how he approached them so gentle and kind. As I close, I'm reminded of, again, I mentioned this guy, I called him last week, Joe Schrader, I said, Joe, my church one day wants to meet you before you die. He's in his late 60s now. I said, wouldn't y'all like to meet Joe Schrader? God led me to Christ and put up with me for four years. He'll tell you a bunch of stories. Most of them lies. But I was talking to Joe on the phone, and I was remembering this time. We were in Daytona Beach, Florida. I'd been a Christian a couple years. We're sharing Christ on the beach with Campus Crusade for Christ. And that's when we're down there, 1,000 college students sharing Christ. And as we walk into the hotel, there's a group of motorcycle people like like big dudes, way bigger than me, buff, tattoos, leather jackets, drinking uh, bottles of liquor, and had the bikes parked, sitting, I mean, outside the pool, and they're sitting by the pool, still got leather on, sitting by the pool. That's a bad dude, you know, gonna go swimming in his leather. <laughs> and as I walked there, I remember thinking, no, Joe, don't do it. And about that time, he said, hey, let's go talk to these guys. I oh, God. Now, you got to remember, Joe is about five foot seven, little chubby guy, sort of waddles when he walks, and I'm like, Joe, I can't take them all, you know what I mean? (laughs) I'm in my my prime, and if I can't take them all, and one at a time, I'm good, I'm in shape, maybe they're not. He walks over and said, hey, guys, how you doing? Joe Schrader here. Uh, We're with a bunch of people with Campus Crusade, and we're actually sharing, telling people about Christ (laughs) today. Any of you guys, would you be interested in us taking a few minutes to explain to you what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ? <laughs> oh God. I mean, like, you're talking about the lack of tack and awkward. And and, uh, and then he said, and before, before that, my friend here, Jeff Patton, plays football at East Carolina. He wants to tell you his testimony, how he came to Christ. I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> I mean, I'm literally thinking that. So I stepped forward, and I give my, like, two-minute testimony, best as I could, right how I came to Christ. Two responses. A couple guys said, man, we want to hear that blankety-blank, blank, blank, blank. Get out of here. And one of the guys said to his friend, said something like, hey, man, they ain't hurting you. They've been respectful. They're here trying to help us. Yeah, we, we want to hear. Don't pay no attention to him. Don't be a jerk, bro. And I was like, oh. So we sit down and Joe shares the gospel with those two or three guys on one end of that group. They didn't come to Christ. They thanked us. Joe said, can I pray for you? They said, yes. I'm like, I'm looking, he's praying for these old hard dudes. And then as we left, he turns to the guys who had said some harsh things. And I thought, what is he going to do now? <laughs> and he says to them, he says to them, do you know why you didn't want to hear about the love of Christ for you? And they said, I don't know why. And he said, because you love the darkness more than you love the light. You love evil more than you love good. Have a good day. And walked away. I was like, God. (laughs) Joe was the greatest I've ever seen at responding to each person based on what they needed to hear and leave the results with God. So this morning, I want to encourage you to write one name down. And I want you to write that name down and pray for that person and their needs, that God would woo them to himself, you love this person. That's why you're writing them down. That's why you're praying for them. And that he would give you an opportunity to tell them about the greatest love known to man. Take a minute to do just that.